Welcome into episode 42 of Out of Timeouts. I'm Carter Ackle. He's Caleb Carter. It's been a little bit since you guys have heard our voices, but don't worry. There'll be plenty of it today. Because we have all sorts of football to talk about. We, since we will be catching up on a week's worth of action. Two weeks in the books already. Volleyball season has kicked off. Plenty of parody so far in the Pride of Iowa. we got some cross-country results catch you up on and we'll talk about player of the week stuff and maybe get into a lot little bit of college football if we can find the time but Caleb let's start with the prep sports in the high school football Creston one and one look good against Atlantic at least from you know the recap we read because neither of us were there it was Larry Peterson and Caleb Nelson there I saw them against Sheridan where they seemed to just I don't know what it is about season openers losing on two-point conversions or in close games in overtime, but uh, just they seem to always have tough, tough ways to open the season. Um, but they've definitely established some things they are they are quite good at so far. Uh, and that's uh, one throw in the ball. Yeah, um, they've got yeah. some explosiveness already. They demonstrated, uh, and then we knew coming in that Eli Loudon was going to factor in pretty heavily in uh, using his feet. So that's already happened. He had three rushing touchdowns, I believe it was, this last week, and. Through for one as well, and he was 10 for 10 through the air. Uh, Kobe Hewlett, first uh, varsity touchdown as well on a uh, short pass by the end zone, and he's hitting a lot of targets. Came to Peterson's getting involved plenty. Uh, Kylan Smallwood factors in here and there. Mark Weigand has uh, stepped up in a big way for them to be able to be a reliable target, and so some of those guys are doing some good stuff that I guess heading into the season didn't really know who was going to be kind of the big factors that, that I guess spread out, so looking to see where else that goes and who, who starts to get used heavily, more heavily in the passing game and what Loudon's able to do because against Atlantic, a team that they lost to in overtime last year, they sure put together a lot more offense this time around. Yeah, and Atlantic was a little bit of a smaller team. Uh, you know, Creston's not exactly that large either on the line or really anywhere for that matter. But, uh, you know, we talked about Loudon at the end of the year. You kind of saw that like, oh, okay, he might be he might be the guy next year. And I think he's definitely proved it so far and you know not only have they found some kind of surprising playmakers on the offensive end uh, like you talked about with Kenyon Peterson just uh probably having the touchdown reception of the year at least the early candidate uh in which he caught about a eight yard pass and then proceeded to run the next 50 yards juking all sorts of Sheridan defenders and uh stiff arming another one and hurtling over another one and uh 58-yard touchdown, but they've also got some guys on defense that have kind of surprised some people. I know Colby Hewlett has stepped in and had a pretty solid outing against Atlantic. That defensive line has done a decent job of getting some pressure along with some outside backers. Some guys, once again, who are a little on the smaller side, and Tristan Travis and Garen Worcester. Um, And, you know, I think that secondary they're starting to piece together, and uh, once again, special teams has been been the talk of the town for Brian Morrison and what they can do there, but you know, one and one heading into Carlisle, another team that they go from taking on a small Atlantic team to another team that's going to be very physical in Carlisle. And uh, Carlisle likes to run the football. They've only thrown, they've only completed three passes so far this year. So that'll be a, a good test for Creston. Another game at home on the new turf field. Uh, I believe as of this tape recording, Wednesday afternoon, there's a 50% chance of rain Friday afternoon. Or so, for the rest of the year is what it seems yeah, like. Yeah, really. Uh, I think I heard that we have had more rain in September by September 5th than we did all of August. So, yeah. One thing I look forward to for Crescent here in the coming weeks is if they're able to start creating more turnovers. Um, I know in the first game, Peterson had an interception, 
And outside of that, uh, I don't think they'll be able to really create much. Uh, they're going to need to against some opponent opposing offenses that have some talent. We know this week that Carlisle has some pretty good kids at the skill positions, and so looking forward to seeing if they're able to find some some way to you know keep causing havoc in the backfield and make something happen that gets them the football back in good position. Well, it's funny you mentioned that Carlisle has had a little bit of the turnover bug in their first two games. Granted, one of those was against Lewis Central. Uh, uh, which is a little like, no, oh, okay. Class 4A number one. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so that could be uh, definitely a key to, key to look for there. But uh, that's what we got with Creston football. On to Clark. Caleb, how many games had they lost in a row coming into this season? Uh, Clark had lost their last three of 2016. Or, yeah, 2016, they lost eight of theirs and had a forfeit in 2017. And then they had into this season, won their first two games this year. That they did, and uh, both of which kind of on the more impressive side of things. Granted, there was one half against Nottoway Valley in that second game where they looked a little, I don't know if shaky is the right word, just not as mm-hmm. complete, not as thorough. Um, but you saw them in week one, and they came out and uh, stomped on Martinsdale St. Mary's. Yeah, but they did, they had the same kind of slow start against uh, Martinsdale they had against Nottoway Valley, too. Um, uh, Martinsdale moved the ball more on their first drive than they almost did the rest of the game combined, and Clark still found a way to get a stop. As um, anybody who saw from the Nottoway Valley-Clark game this week, Nottoway Valley went on top 12-7, to and then Nottoway didn't score the rest of the way. Clark kind of figured it out. So, well, that said... Uh, we look at a Clark team that has more rushing yards right now than it did total yards all of last season, and a lot of that's chalked up to um, buying into a new system, and right now that's a kind of a wing tee reminiscent-looking offense where everything's bunched together. There are no wideouts spread out. The furthest guy um, in the box that's spread is not even paced out from the line. He's a wingback. It's usually Peyton Winship. They'll incorporate slow motions and uh, tra- trap-looking blocks, um, a lot of opposite side pulling guards to kind of uh, trick the defensive uh, linebacker to, pull, to trick the linebackers enough to get them moving in one direction and not see the action coming away from them and so they're doing a lot of that and so that picked them up a 359 rushing yards in the first game of the season and then last week I believe it 276 was, yeah. something around there and and when you mean slow motion you mean slow motion oh, if yeah. they're bringing they're, they're tiptoeing it's like it's like a Tom and Jerry cartoon yes that's exactly what I was going to say sneaking up to the to the hole and just it's like it's like watching a Disney or some sort of cartoon dance almost <laughs> like just this like I don't want to say goofy looking, but just kind of odd. You don't see it. I just very thought often. of what it what it reminds me of now, even more than Tom and Jerry. It's anybody seen the movie Blues Brothers, where uh, Cab Calloway is singing the song Minnie the Moocher. Um, it, it's kind of like the cadence of it. Here's the story about Minnie the Moocher. It's that slow little cadence motion. I- bet when you click play on this podcast you didn't expect to do that <laughs> it's so uh off-putting at first because that you have snaps to an up back who's has his hand on the ground um and in that position used to be you see in some offenses used as a as a lead blocker and he often is and that's usually armani fry um that being said though they might snap it sideways they they have two kids back there in the shotgun either of which could get the ball they both hold their hands up there's a lot of reverse um handoff looks trying to hide the ball so it's all built on deception, and I mean, I'm not really... I mean, deceiving it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like you could say, if you've watched the film, you're still only going to have an idea of what type of concepts they want to incorporate. You're not going to be able to game plan for everything, because you just have to, against an offense like that, you just have to be kind of, I mean, what's the word the coach, coaches always love to use, is just you have to be honest. You have to be true to what your responsibility is on any given play. This is your gap. This is your man. If there's an option type look, even though 
that doesn't really resemble that much of an offense or option look, but you have to treat it like such. You know that they're going to come back and do opposite action, and you like the defensive end has to can't like bite in because they'll leave the outside um, open or whatever. So um, this if this sounds like rough football analysis, I'm a little bit rough. <laughs> I need to get back into it, but. Yeah, you, you have to treat this offense very honestly, and you can't just bite on everything, otherwise you're going to get burned. And I, I do think it's something, uh, like like you said, you know, keeping defense is honest, I do think it's something that Clark's offense will slowly start to incorporate more as the passing game. I think if they get too one-dimensional, which, I mean, it works against, you know, teams where if you can run for 300-plus yards a game, then why bother? Yeah, why but, pass? Yeah. But, uh... Clark only threw one threw the ball one time against Nottaway Valley, and you know they get get somebody who's a little more put together and got a little more uh, solid foundation around them, and uh, they might stack the box on even more. And they're going to team, find a way to face open. teams with more size, and they're going to stack it even more than what teams currently do. Exactly, and so they have to find a way to open it up more. But it's 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 fun to watch, assuming you can you can follow it. I mean, even taking pictures on the sidelines, sometimes you're like, oh, that guy didn't have the ball. <laughs> All right, elsewhere in the local football area coverage, Caleb, you've seen Murray. They are also off to a 2-0 start after after a tough 2017 campaign. I almost said 2018. (laughs) After a tough 2017 campaign, what have you seen from them, and what have they done so well? Well, the crazy thing about Murray football is last year they they bring back everybody who they had from last year, essentially. Uh, They lost a senior who didn't really play because he was injured. Um, They bring all those guys back, and you think, oh, you know, maybe they're they're better, but you don't really know how high that ceiling is, and the expectation surely isn't for them to come out and dominate teams. Well, they did. They they came out the first two weeks. They absolutely laid it on Essex. Um, it was competitive early on. They beat Essex 70-28 to 28, um, offense. They put together 600 yards of total yardage, whether you're concerns of kick returns, um, punt returns, uh, and offense and defensive returns. Um, so the offense is really only one part of it. In both games, they've picked up a lot of offensive yardage, but they've also found ways to um, create turnovers that um, they pick up yardage off of. They have been returning punts. There was a punt return for a touchdown in the game I was at against Collins Maxwell. They won 44-6. to They dropped a snap on a punt and still managed to pick it up and run for something. These guys are making things happen. They've got four or five skill position guys who have demonstrated that they can do something with the football in open space, and they're getting their guys open enough in the secondary they're able to find some ways to get the ball to them, and then Devin Slaughter taking over as the full-time quarterback this year is both using his feet and his arm to get things done, and the last time out he had a punt return for a touchdown, two passing touchdowns, he had a uh, rushing touchdown in the first quarter as well, a lot of what they did was in the first quarter, and so the one thing that Coach Taylor Fulton was kind of sticking to was, we come out, we've come out aggressive in the first quarter, we have to be able to maintain that and keep having that mentality of putting the pedal to the metal the rest of the way. And it seems like not only have they been able to do that, but they've also gotten a, a lot of help from uh, their linemen, which was a big emphasis in your last recap. Right. And I'm sure that's something they will expect to, yeah. to have moving forward. And when you've got a big guy like Wyatt Myers up there, who my, my rough estimate is he's 6'4", 275 pounds in an eight-man football, and you know he's down-blocking on kids and getting up to the linebackers, you've got a lot of eight-man teams who've got like linebackers who probably weigh 150 pounds. So when you've got a guard coming at you right at your face and he outweighs you by 120 pounds... It's kind of hard to get out of the way, and if you do get out of the way, I mean, you're just Probably creating up on your backside. <laughs> either that, or you're just creating a hole for somebody to run right where you previously were. So, <laughs> Murray Line's getting it done too. Elsewhere, I guess it's not Pride of Iowa, but you know, some of our other local teams. Lennox sits at one and one. East Union sits at one and one. Uh, 
Lennox lost to Sydney to yeah, open the season, 26-16, and then responded with a thumping of Melcher Dallas. Anything you want to add on them there? Um, Just that we didn't know if their identity was going to change at all under new coaches this year, and it, it hasn't. Um, they're still going to run the football. Carter's still still an outstanding out. Still an outstanding athlete. <laughs> Colton Gordon has done yeah. plenty of damage, especially against Melcher Dallas. 100, 192 yards rushing and three touchdowns, I believe it was. Put him up as a player of the week nomination for week two, but we will get to that a little bit later. East Union, team that, once again, you kind of didn't really know what you were going to get. They just graduated so many kids from yeah. the season ago and uh, off to a 1-1 and start so far. They picked up a win against Griswold. Griswold recently dropped down from 11-man to 8-man. Matt McGuire ran for, I believe it was 90 yards and three touchdowns. Josh Hardy ran for 110 yards. And Dylan Weiss has proven, as we kind of figured, to be the main wideout target. One thing to keep looking eye on for East Union is that uh, their defense is led by a lot of young guys and guys who have created turnovers so far. Um, Jaron Stevens has done a little bit. Dalton Prophet, who's a freshman, has done a little bit. So it's kind of going to be keep. It's going to probably remain interesting to see which of those young guys can continue to make plays on the defensive side of the football. Elsewhere, Southwest Valley continues their regular season winning streak. They are two and zero with wins over Red Oak and Central Decatur. Central Decatur. That was the most recent win and uh, two good wins there. You know, Central Decatur uh, is off to a slower start at zero and two. Red Oak is a a bigger school, but a team that has had some struggles in the past. Uh, I don't think their identity's changed much either under the same same head coaching regime, but they are also lost a lot of seniors yeah. from that uh, playoff qualifying team a season ago. Right, and, and heading into the last postseason, they were the uh, treated as the number one, number two team in the state at the time because their their victory late in the season came against St. Albert um, on a miserably rainy day, and so I remember just thinking like we have our team that has a chance to go to the dome, and you know they just ran into trouble and a really physical big. Uh, Galen Catholic team, so I don't know how much of that's a fuel for Southwest Valley, but their identity is still the same. Uh, they're playing aggressive in the backfield. Their defensive line's causing a lot of havoc. They created six turnovers against Central Decatur, and some other guys have stepped up offensively. Dustin Lund is a quarterback. Tegan Lundquist is doing a little bit as a wide receiver, as is Blaine Ventiker. Ventiker's created stuff defensively, and then you have a guy like Tucker Tepole who had an interception and a fumble return. Um, go a distance and not for a touchdown, but still um, a lot of guys doing things for them. Hunter Post and Jacob Webb, both being two guys whose names are going to continue to stick out. Uh, Talon Myers, all of those guys just create a lot of havoc for the Southwest Valley defense. So if their defense continues to you know hold up their end of the bargain, they're going to keep winning football games. And just like last year, quarterback also doing play on the ground. Dustin Lund has, I believe, about 130 yards and three touchdowns so far this season when he gets off and starts running. Mount Air, 1-1, one one, Nottoway Valley, 0-2. I know neither of us have – well, I've seen Nottoway Valley. I just, yeah. We were just talking about that. We can get to that here in a second. Haven't seen much from Mount Air, but uh, once again, another team under the same leadership, a uh, long-time leadership, and uh, doing exactly what they, they do. And you never really know who's going to get the ball for, for Mount Air. Right, and – I mean, you look at the stats any given year, a lot of years, and there's 10 guys who have 20 to 30 carries on the ground. Um, they did graduate the two guys that gave the ball to the most last year, but in steps in kids like the Clomhouses who are going to come in. Um, and one thing that actually was interesting is that dynamic of uh, they 
have the same identity. I still want to run the football, but I know that this year, after talk, Larry Peterson talked to co-head coach Derek Lambert, who incorporated some stuff he learned from Joel Osborne over at Northwest Missouri State, and that basically is just trying to include wrinkles that get your better athletes out in space more, not being so reliant on, yes, we know we have an identity if we want to pound the rock right up the middle, but like you know, still finding ways to get the balls to uh, those good athletes in space, and one of those guys is Dawson Frost, who made the changeover from quarterback to wide receiver this year, and Peyton Wheeler, the sophomore, stepped in at single-collar position that's at quarterback, and so already he's been able to find him for some big plays in a couple of games they've played. And so that win against Nottoway Valley, 36-0, almost everything was done in the first half. And the second game um, against I-35, that's a good I-35 team with some very solid skill position players. And a deep senior class y- as well. Yes, and so I-35 went ahead of them. I-35 had some trouble holding on to the football. I believe there was uh, there actually ended up being five turnovers in that game. And uh, in, in the end, Mounter couldn't convert enough, couldn't do enough with the, with the football. So I imagine with some upcoming games, uh, I know they play Clark soon. That's something I'm really excited for. And uh, some other, when district games come up, you will be very interested to see how they compete in uh, some of those other games. Dawson Frost had a nice tiptoe catch in the end zone, which our Larry Peterson got a picture of and is in the paper. Oh, yeah. If you were interested from that Week 1 matchup, Nottoway Valley 0-2 under new leadership in Taylor Ashman. Uh, we talked a little bit about what you just said when they played Mount Air. We've talked about when they played Clark. They that first half they looked pretty solid against Clark. They uh, you know didn't really seem to give up too many big rushing plays. Uh, they were able to put together a short drive after a Clark turnover for their first score. Brady Hillpiper uh, carried about four Clark defenders <laughs> with him into the end zone for the second score. Led twelve seven. Then they gave up a touchdown with like eight seconds left in the first half and. Uh, Trailed by one heading into the locker room. Both teams yeah. stayed on the field. but uh, And then the second half, uh, as Taylor Ashman said afterwards, they just kind of shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. And, you know, with a with an... It's a young and experienced Yeah, team, and, yeah. you know, I think uh, it's just something that you're going to see. And uh, it, regardless, I, there's plenty that they can take away from that game, uh, especially with some of those offensive plays. They had a decent passing attack um, when, when it was successful. They had a one drive before that Brady Hillpiper touchdown where they completed two passes across the middle. That worked pretty well for them. Um, but a couple of interceptions really came back to bite them as well as it was, it was turnovers in the second half that really, really hampered hamstrung them, excuse me. And a blocked punt. Uh, Clark just had three really short fields to work with and scored three touchdowns off of that. Ended up taking that one 38 to 12. Uh, we got two teams left. I 35 and central Decatur, Talked about them both a little bit. I-35, I saw them against Creston in a scrimmage. We knew uh, Richie Griglione on the outside and was going to be a, a big threat. He scored two touchdowns in that scrimmage um, and has continued to kind of dominate other teams when the opportunity is presented. Yeah, and they've, they've really got good athletes at all types of positions, even though they graduated some very good senior skill position players. Uh, Joey Brigard stepped in at quarterback this year for Braden Eagley. He was one of the better quarterbacks in the area, and now... You've got a kid who was primary dude, linebacker type dude who's stepping in and touching the ball every every play, and uh, it's worked out to a pretty large extent with because you, when you have guys like Richie, you have guys like Tanner Daniels and Grant Richardson over there on the outside um, to throw the football to, and then Mason Casty and Jack Smith in the backfield. Those two, those latter two, combined for 200 rushing yards against Mount Air, and uh, they're gonna make good things happen. Uh, they did have. 
they Rigard did throw two interceptions against Mount Air, and as we mentioned a second ago, the turnovers were an issue with them. But they've got a big game against Panorama this week that's been getting a lot of picking up a lot of votes and uh, early co- coaches polls, and so I thirty five is kind of getting that recognition as well too. So a lot kind of hinging on what people are going to think about that team, and I'm sure they don't really care what others think. Um, I'm personally pretty excited to see how that turns out for I-35 because it's, it might tell us a lot about what to expect in the next couple weeks. That Not only that, it drew some uh, TV attention as well. They'll have, a, <laughs> they'll have a TV station down there for that. A, 540, ABC5. a 5.45 a.m. pep rally. <laughs> <Oy>. <laughs> have fun with that. Central Decatur, they started the year against I-35, led 12-7 going into the fourth quarter, and then gave up, what, 19? Is that 19 points? Yeah, yeah. 19 points. Uh, to I-35 to lose that one. And then, obviously, that second loss came to Southwest Valley. What were you kind of expecting from them? And we knew we knew their number one guy was going to be Cole Peterson and just mm-hmm. a matter of uh, how much help he was going to get as well as what he could do on his own. I-35, or CD also lost some very good athletes. I mean, Carter Booth, Tyler Davis, uh, Tyke Walker, those guys kind of come to mind as uh, guys who were a really big part of what they were able to do last year. And so you know that a lot was going to rely on the coaches. Kid Cole Peterson's the Iowa State commit who – um, was we were told is going to step in probably at quarterback and have to play some different spots on defense and even against Southwest Valley a team with a great defense he still passed for I think it was 140 yards and ran for about 120. Um, the one issue they ran into was turnovers again like we like it has been for a couple of the area mm-hmm. teams um, in these first couple of weeks and they're trying to find that identity trying to figure out what works for them still it sure seems like they're going to find way to move, ways to move the balls at times just because. They have a couple talented kids at some of those spots, but otherwise uh, looking for – oh, excuse me. I did say Tyke Walker. Tyke Walker is back for senior year. I was thinking of that a second ago. Um, but, guys, they've created, like, I think two – there's two interceptions right now looking at their defense and then no fumble recovery. So they have been in a position of hurting themselves and then not uh, creating enough turnovers yet. So we'll see in the coming weeks what they do. They've got the likes of uh, Mount Air coming up, Panorama, and then they go east for some games. Over to Pride of Iowa Volleyball, we will start there. It's been, uh, I don't even know if topsy-turvy is the right way to describe it. It's more of just like dog-eat-dog in the Pride of Iowa. As uh, seems like all the top teams have already beaten each other uh, when they when they face each other so far. Central Decatur beat Mount Air early on, and then East Union turned around and beat Central Decatur. And then Nottoway Valley gave Mount Air a little bit of a run for their money last night, even though Mount Air came out in straight sets and... It's just been uh, quite the battle at the top, and something you know we kind of expected. We knew we knew kind of there was going to be a two-tiered uh, look in the, the Pride of Iowa with you know a couple teams on top, and then some other teams kind of building and figuring out what was going to be next. And uh, so far, that's proven to be the case. Yeah, and I think at any any given night, you've got um, six teams who are going to be able to compete at the level that could put them in the Pride of Iowa championship like final. I don't know that all six of those teams are good enough to win it. But I think all of those like teams like Southeast Warren, East Union, Central Decatur, uh, Mount Air, Southwest Valley, and then possibly even Nottoway Valley on a good night is going to be able to compete at a very high level with every one of those other teams. Um, we've seen I've seen Bedford already beat on some good teams as well, some athletic squads. Um, you've got kind of like a lower rung after that. But even a team like Lennox has a lot of very athletic younger players that if they you know figure stuff out. Um, then there are going to be some teams who are going to be a little bit more nervous to face them on a weeknight, you know, volleyball. Um, East Union, was it last night, comes out with a big win against Central Decatur, and that's the second time in a week that um, POI team has taken uh, Central Decatur to five sets and one. You can call me out on it. I said Central Decatur is probably the best team in the POI, and I was pretty 
set on that fact. And here we are. They're, it's not like they're playing bad volleyball, but they've had two teams knock them off their pedestal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I if a if a four point or a three point loss to East Union in the fifth set and what a four point loss to Southwest Valley in the fifth set is so much getting knocked off their pedestal as it is just fifth set nerves early on in the season. But and they're both on the road too. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely definitely proven that anybody can win on any given night. And as you know, as cliche of a coach as saying that may be, it's uh, absolutely one hundred percent the case so far. And I'll definitely be curious to see what else is going on there. As far as uh, players, I mean, if you've seen so far, uh, you've been able to watch. I know you watch Mount Air, Nottoway Valley. Um, like, who really impressed you? I know that you said that Mackenzie Shields and Sam Stewart played really well, right? Yeah, they both played really well. Um, I did think it was it was interesting to see with Mount Air is pretty much anybody on that team can be a hitter at any given time. Um, it, you know, a little little sloppiness to their game early on. Uh, Nottoway Valley led, you know, by six points in the second set. I think they were up 18-12 to 12 at one point and had a 9-5 lead in the first set or 13-9, something like that. And, um, you know, Mount Air just a little, looked a little out of sorts. And then uh, that third set rolled around. And just the way they ended those first two sets also, just their hitters just started coming up. Uh, Kirsten Klomhaus, you know, had eight kills. Sam Stewart had eight kills. Uh, I believe five or six girls ended up with at least a couple of kills in that in that matchup, and uh, anybody can play in the back row and get digs. Uh, saw five or six girls, you know, able to scoop the ball up off the floor, and I think it's just a matter of kind of getting the confidence going for for the Raiderettes to continue pushing forward and you know winning in straight sets against Nottoway Valley, and uh, if they can you know take out one of these topper echelon teams in the, the Pride of Iowa, that's that's really what it's going to be next for them, and. Uh, on the flip side, Nottoway Valley, you know, a team that's a little younger. I, I asked uh, head coach Allison Kivers about that, and she goes, you know, we don't we want to talk like we're we're any younger than anybody else. It's uh, it's just what we're here with, and that's we need to keep going from there. And and she she thinks that it's just a matter of finding some some leadership on the floor. Said they've got enough vocal athletes, but nobody who's really stepped up as as the leader. And she thinks that's kind of what's uh, keeping them from taking that next step forward. Good deal. Um, other, otherwise, in the POI, I just want to touch real quick. Um, East Union, we had a player of the week, winner of the week one, Alyssa Weinkotz, um, got the recognition for kind of doing a little bit of everything. She's at the net getting blocked. She's uh, picked up a lot of kills in that first weekend tournament when East Union finished second at the Clark Kickoff Classic. And, uh, you know, also in the back row, pick, digging up some uh, volleyballs as well. So um, congrats to her on that first week. Um, otherwise, we've had a lot of decent performances so far from POI players. Um, but it's just something we'll get into more in the future podcast. Uh, elsewhere in volleyball, Creston off to a one-on-one start. A good-looking win against ADM to open the year. A 3-1 win where, I mean, I think that's the loudest volleyball gym I've ever been in. Um, and I haven't covered volleyball too much around here, but have seen it uh, in plenty of other places. And it was it was hopping for that one. And uh, you could tell it was a big win, and then they came out against was it Clorinda? Clorinda, yeah. Clorinda didn't quite look as as sharp, and that was just two days later. Uh, mm-hmm. You were at both matches, Caleb. What right. do you think? Kind of the difference was for them there. Um, I th- it seemed like to an extent that they weren't they were a little bit more locked in that first night. I think um, I don't know that they come out the second night and were kind of like they were kind of almost surprised by how well they played. I mean, I know that they have to think that they're capable of playing good volleyball, but the way how just how well things went that first night against ADM, I think they kind of came out and like, hey. All right, we, we've got it put together this year, and then they kind of just got greeted with a little bit of reality against a good, well-coached Clarinda volleyball team that really got on a roll at times. And uh, Creston had some issues um, with serve receive, not getting it into system. Um, 
they weren't always getting it to the players that they needed to get it, the ball to sometimes when they uh, needed to reel off some points. And so there have been kids like Kelsey Fields and Emma Hansen, when they've got going, they need the ball, volleyball fed to them to, in order to keep Creston on the attack offensively. And I know a coach, one of the co-coaches, Mallory Peterson, said to me that um, like Bree Ross is an example of somebody who that night – even when things weren't being like kind of put on a silver platter for her, she was still finding ways to just pop the ball up and get guys in good or get the girls in good position. Um, so I guess they has to just be more put together as a unit instead of just sporadic, you know, good moments, uh, good short little stretches. They've just got to have a more all put together effort. Yeah, and next I, time they come out. I think you pretty much touched on it right there. And Mallory Peterson said this before the season started. You know, they've got height, but they're going to be playing out of system a lot with the number of hitters in the Hawkeye Ten. Uh, a number of good quality hitters uh, in that conference. And so it's something that they showed pretty solid flashes of against ADM. I wasn't at Clarinda. I don't know how out of system they were playing, but it sounded like you said they weren't exactly getting into system. Mm-hmm. With the amount of height they have, I mean, there's going to be plenty of times where they've they've got blocks or balls that are getting deflected that they're going to have to be picking up uh, off of tough angles and playing that that out of system rotation. So we'll see what they look for what they look like moving forward as well. Yeah, and I will say that as long as, you know, they keep staying consistent in things like uh, serve, just serving in general, there there are hardly any kids with more than a handful of serve errors already through the two games. Um, they are spreading out the attacking, a lot of attack or attack chances for a number of players on that floor. Um, you know, as long as somebody like McKenna Hudson's continually digging up all of these uh, hard to dig up balls that uh, the, the Kempers and the Clorindas and the Lewis Centrals of the world are giving them, they're going to be able to compete against very good programs. And as for Clark Volleyball, um, they're sitting in a position one and seven now, uh, still trying to. I think what Coach uh, Coach Adelhoman told me was basically, I want to see what I'm seeing in practice actually translate to the floor. Um, she knows she's got a couple decent athletes out on the floor right now, um, returning from a team that had its most wins they'd had in a handful of years. Um, so right now, somebody like a Des Stuby is when she's going, good things are happening for them. But when they aren't kind of all locked in through the full set, that was where they ran into trouble the last couple matches. Uh, against, I watched them compete against Eddieville, Blakesburg, Fremont, a team they kind of stacked up well competitively wise against, and they did things well for most of each set, and then toward the end of the set, kind of just let things slip away. So in the coming weeks, we'll have a better idea of whether. Uh, Clark's going to compete really well with those other South Central Conference teams. On to cross country, where we have seen a number of teams compete. Also, a number of meets already uh, postponed slash canceled due to weather. Like we talked about earlier, uh, the rain has been pretty relentless here early on in the fall sports season. I was in Menlo for a cross country meet where Nottoway Valley and Southwest Valley were in attendance, as well as I-35, the Nottoway Valley boys picked up right where they left off last season by winning that meet as a team. Josh Badler took first place. Girls' side, the Wolverines had girls finishing fourth and fifth in Reagan Weinheimer and Sophia Browers. And uh, head coach Daryl Burmeister said it's just a matter of time before they really start to uh, continue pushing towards the front of the pack there. Uh, dehydration played a little bit of a factor there for everybody uh that first meet a little bit warmer but nothing nothing too outlandish um southwest valley saw some good performances on the girls side growing on the boys side as well and i-35 and abby Gehring as a freshman set a school record finishing sixth right behind the two nottaway valley runners so a good performance good performances there across the board uh, as we continue to see what else happens in the cross-country field 
Locally, we also had the Wayne meet the other day as well. We had some uh, local uh, schools like East Union took third on the girls' side there, led by Gabrielle Valencia and Molly McNeil. Um, on the boys' side, we had Mount Air um, do pretty well, so finished third as well. And Chase Smith and Isaac Timmerman went eighth and sixth, respectively, in that race. Uh, Clark got in their first running of the year. Katie Donaldson was a top ten performer there. And uh, so we've seen some of our teams take to just take out – or we've seen some of our teams uh, – get out and kind of get their first runs of the year in yet, so it's hard to gauge too much about all of them as a whole. There are a lot of kids whose times are going to drastically drop in the next couple of weeks if we actually get to run. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's that's at this point, that's kind of a big if. Uh, we'll see what the, the weather looks like here in the coming weeks, but with the way it's shaped up now, nobody really knows. As far as Creston goes, Braylon Baker, Brielle Baker off to the same type of good start you'd expect. Um, Hannah Rounds was a surprise for Creston, according to Coach Pat Schlapia, because uh, she was one of the varsity scorers, her first meet as a freshman, um, and gave him a pretty decent time. You've got others like uh, Paige Davis and Morgan Buxton and um, kids like that, Sydney Hartsock. I heard Alec Christensen shaved off quite a bit of time from yeah. her first meet last year to her first meet this year. And then on the boys' side, you know, Clayton Stafford, once again, one of those guys where they knew, they knew what they were going to have. And then the rest, I think it's just a matter of, like you said, kids continuing to shave off time yeah. and uh same thing on the boys side where they had a couple of guys shave off quite a bit of time yeah. from where they were to begin last year and jared moreland and levi hits both if i'm not mistaken and then just uh see how they continue to improve as the season progresses our other player of the week just to say you get your feel real quick there amani fry of clark um had a very good first week game against martinsdale st mary's had a defensive touchdown had uh two rushing touchdowns and uh, was a big part of their early start. He's one of their captains but with him and Riley Domina. So we're going to have, it's the way they're playing right now, we might have some more Clark nominees in the coming weeks. Um, and we'll see next week we'll have our, or the next time we come on the podcast, we'll give you the winner of our first cross-country winners as well as the second week of football and volleyball. Well, that's going to do it for episode 42 of Out of Timeouts. Thanks for listening and uh, find our work at crestonnews.com. For Caleb Carter, I'm Carter Eckle. Have a good one. It's timeouts. Timeouts were also a large part. You have to take a timeout. <laughs>